Hey everybody, welcome to this sixth episode of Time Extend. You're listening to Adam Ismail, and as always, I'm here with... Brendan Norrison, and today we'll be taking you through the latest news topics in the world of racing games, and also discussing a featured topic at the end of the podcast. Right, and uh, we took a little bit of a break uh, since our last show. Um, Brendan and I are very busy people, so (laughs) as much as we'd like to do this show every opportunity we could possibly get, because it's a lot of fun... Uh, stuff does come up, but the important thing is that we're back this week, and, well, you didn't miss us much, did you? Yeah, I'm sure that the four or so people listening would have been able to hold off, but, yeah, busy lives, unfortunately, for the two of us, but we're back and ready to go. <laughs> right, so we'll get straight into it. Um, not a ton of news in our absence. There was a GT Sport update that had uh, that new Vision GT and a couple other things, but... That's kind of old news at this point, so we're just going to move straight on to the most recent stuff. Uh, probably the biggest being uh, Forza 7, and actually a couple of different Forza 7 related items. The first one being that the K1 Speed Pack released after being delayed for what seemed like a couple of weeks and then also leaking, which was kind of interesting. Yeah, definitely. It seems like, uh, as far as Forza is concerned, we see these types of leak uh, quite commonly, as we'll discuss later on as well. But um, that the news of this car pack getting out a bit early isn't necessarily a bad thing because there's some really nice cars in this pack, isn't there? Right, yeah, so this is a pretty good one. I mean, Forza has a pretty good track record when it comes to hitting, you know, every single type of car in a, in a DLC. And, I mean, they've done it again here. You got the 1976 Chevy Corvette, uh, Greenwood Corvette, the number 76, actually, as well. Uh, 1948 Ferrari 166 Intersport. 2017 Maserati Levante S. 1966 Porsche 906 Carrera 6. Uh, All these old Porsches are really nice, too, I have to add. 1980 Porsche 924 Carrera GTS. And then the 1985 Nissan A3 Electromotive Engineering GTP ZX Turbo. But, actually, there's one more. It's the most important one. The 2018 Honda Odyssey. Finally. <laughs> Somebody's been listening. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I just love the, the... They have a lot of those, you know, old IMSA Nissans. And they're... For a while, their kind of Porsche repertoire was sort of dated. And now they're adding some, like, really, you know, niche, like, fan-favorite older cars. And then on top of that, you get a minivan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And on the the subject of the Porsches, let's be honest, we're about 15 years of Porsches to catch up thanks to the EA exclusivity license. Mm-hmm. So the more Porsches we get in video games, the better. And I understand that people are getting a bit sick of seeing them in the DLC packs or being hailed as this big achievement. But let's be honest, the exclusivity license dying off was a huge moment for racing video games. So the more Porsches we get, the better. And as ever, Turn 10's picks seem great here. We've got some classics. The Carrera 6 is my particular favourite from this bunch. Just beating out the Honda Odyssey. (laughs) But, um, yeah, there's some good Porsches in this pack. And with the jokes aside, adding things at the Honda Odyssey is something I think Turn 10 are really good at. They understand what it means to branch out and add these silly cars that made games like Gran Turismo so special in the first place. And it's the same for Forza. The more of these types of cars we get, it just adds that little bit of variety we need sometimes when we're obsessed with performance-based racers. 
Yeah, and Forza has always had such a extensive, like, multiplayer facet as well, as far as, like, you know, oh, there's a room, I mean, look, I haven't really played a Forza game in a while, but I remember, like, with Forza 4, there was a room where you could go play, like, car soccer, and there was another room where you could do weird stuff around the top of your test track, and, like, so, so they do tend to welcome these, like, stranger, more fun, offbeat game type stuff to relax with when you're not just racing, and for something like that, I'm sure the, the 2018 Odyssey is right at home, but it is still funny seeing it there. I would love to see that car football you've brought up come back because oh. it seems like uh, Forza in recent times has fell into that trap of offering the driver journey, air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about motorsport in that uh, really, albeit passionate, but a bit over the top way we lose out in things like car football, which was so much fun. I feel like I only played a couple of times, but um, just the fact that it was there was a big deal. It's like Gran Turismo's coffee breaks as well during the license tests. You know, I always skip the coffee breaks because I hate the license tests so much that I just wanted to get them over with as quickly as possible. And I was also <laughs> like, if I do the coffee break and fail, I'll be so annoyed because I have to like gold everything that I'll go back and I'll just spend so much time working on this thing that isn't really necessary. So I just will never do it and that way I'll never fail and I'll never feel bad. I'd say that's a solid plan. Yeah. Preparing yourself for the worst. It's, you know, it's not a healthy personality trait, you know, obviously, but <laughs> it's it's who I am. So, yeah, uh, not having an Xbox or Forza 7, I can't speak to the <laughs> the drivability of any of these cars, but nevertheless, um, I, I, th I do think that old Porsche is a great choice, a 66 uh, Carrera 6. And I just want to see more Porsches like that honestly make their way to a game I do have, which in this case is GT Sport. Yeah, I'm very surprised that um, Casanori and Polyphony haven't really bolstered the Porsche side of the car list in the updates we've had so far. But I'm sure with more cars and tracks coming soon that they may also appear. Right. And as I said earlier, that is not the only Forza 7 related news that we have because... Um, a bunch of cars were discovered in Forza 7's files by, uh, as fate would have it, a GT Planet member who goes by the name of the Admeester. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly, sir. <laughs> uh, what these are are old thumbnails, and some of them seem to be kind of like, you know, maybe carried over vehicles from previous Forza entries. But some of them are actually new and, and very... Well, they would seem to suggest certain things about uh, future Forza titles. <laughs> yeah, so we we have a very diverse list of cars here. And as, as I said, some of them you've seen in, in previous Forza games. So you got the TVR Speed 12 and uh, the Morgan Aero Super Sports and Ascari KZ1R. These are cars that would be familiar to me because I, I had Forza 4 and 3 and, and those games. Um had those cars and then there's a bunch of stuff in there that would seem to or at least does indicate a very heavy UK slant and most of the time it's like oh you know a lot of cars from one region probably doesn't mean much you know there's a TVR there's a Morgan obviously uh, we also have um, what looks to be a couple old MG's and yeah so you know it's whatever but the fact that they included a London taxi, really, an old London taxi at that, really 
has has sparked people's imagination that we might know where the next Forza Horizon is going to be based, or at least in, in which country. Yeah, I mean, this would be a very strange inclusion if there wasn't going to be a game based in the UK, because I'm not sure anybody's been crying out to drive a black cab. But that being said, it, this could be almost like a civilian vehicle you would find on the roads if it was in the UK. But if this is Forza Horizon 4 we're talking about, I think everyone was on the same wavelength and expecting Japan as the next location. So this throws a spanner in the works almost. Playground Games is actually based in the UK. So it wouldn't make it sorry, it would make sense if they were just doing vehicle tests or something like that, testing out their modelling skills and then those files have been accidentally left into this uh, copy of Forza 7. But similarly, I mean if they've they're from the UK, like I said, so it would be a great opportunity for them to model the UK in Forza Horizon 4, and it would it'd be an interesting location, but personally speaking, I, I'm still pulling for Japan. I'd like to believe that this does mean we might get a UK game, but I, I'm, I'm still Team Japan on this one, Adam. Where do you think it would be based, or potential opportunities for it to be based in the UK? Because I gotta be honest, uh... I mean, I have I have been to England twice in my life, and both have been great experiences, but I struggle to find the place that really screams Horizon to me. I mean, with no bias whatsoever, I think Scotland would probably be the best bet, <laughs> because we've got a lot of great driving roads up here, and it's a lot more rural than England is, in terms of, it's a lot of mm. cities and that type of thing down there, but if we're basing it on the evidence, and I use that term lightly... I would say we're probably looking at London or Manchester because those black cabs tend to be in those bigger cities, not so much in, uh, up in Scotland. So I would say we're probably looking at London or Manchester, and no offence to those cities of course, but it's not really exciting for the Horizon Festival, is it? I mean, we all know, like, it was really cool seeing the Australian Outback and Forza Horizon 3 because they could do so much, and I'm not sure you can do that much with any place in the UK really outside of the Scottish islands yeah I understand what you're saying and the I mean the fact that it's a London black cab or I I mean do they have those black cabs in various cities I actually don't know we we only associate them with London over here yeah they're mostly in London there's no like there's no like formal law that every right, taxi right. needs to be a black cab well it's like everyone always thinks of like the yellow new york cabs but like honestly like cab companies all over the all over america have yellow cabs so it really doesn't mean i mean it means something but like when you travel around you'll see yellow cabs in other places yeah too. yeah it's just associated with the main city that you would see it in this case in america it would be new york and then over here is london but they're, they're not really common. You'll see them in the bigger cities. And I think it's more of a, a fashion status than anything else because most taxi companies over here just use Skoda Octavias, mm. which is not as interesting for tourists. Of course, yeah. Yeah, I have to say, like, I, as much as I, I love London, I, I feel like it'd be a bad choice. You know, I don't want something that's strictly a city environment. The great thing about previous Forza uh, Horizon entries is that, you know, you had, like, when they had, um, what was the one, I guess Forza Horizon 2, where was that base? It was in, like, Spain? Uh, France, I believe. Oh, it was France, okay. You had, like, the Mediterranean driving roads, then you had a couple areas that were maybe a little bit more urban. You had a nice mix. But London, I mean, it would just be London, right? If you're outside of London, there probably aren't, like, 
massive opportunities for great roads over there, I imagine? No, not really. It's all motorways, basically, yeah. so... Yeah, and I I studied abroad uh, many years ago in Brighton, and as happy as I would be to see Brighton be the city, because um, you know, it actually is quite close to London, and like yeah. it's kind of... Seem seem to have uh, a very different feel from London. Again, it's that problem of like you have a city, but again, you don't have that diversity because all of the roads around are pretty much just like you said, motorways. Yeah, exactly. The only potential positive from a, a totally city-based horizon would be how to describe this almost the verticality of the city. So, like, if we use Burnout Paradise as an example, there's plenty of different routes and stuff you could take for races. So. If if they were if playground games were to try their hand at that kind of midnight club burnout horizon uh, horizon what we're talking about <laughs> Forza Horizon type uh, racing game it means we'd probably get a really cool city based racer that we've not had in quite a while it seems almost outside of Need for Speed that most cities we get tend to be um, very basic they just exist to facilitate the racing but I think if anybody could make an interesting city to race in based in a real life environment it'd be playground games but it's still it's too primitive for me I, I don't think it captures what the horizon festival is all about in the game and the reason those games are so fun to come back and play is because they, they manage to keep a freshness and racing to big ben like 10 times <laughs> it's not going to be that exciting is it really well i really enjoyed london in pgr so i mean i guess that's the one that's the one thing i can say that you know would favour having a, a UK city be in the game. Yeah, I think there's there's potential there, but it isn't, like, obvious potential. I think Playground Games would have to win us over with a really good introduction trailer, so we weren't feeling that we lost out on Japan. Because I think that's the problem. Japan almost seems like the final boss for Forza Horizon. Like, that is probably the location they could do the most in, I would say. So if we don't get that, they're going to have to make a good case for the UK if that's where we end up. Yeah, it's true, and maybe they want to stash that one in their back pocket and not, not move on to onto it until they really have to, you know? Yeah, it's understandable. I think that it'll be hard to top Japan once they do it right. And I say once they do it right because I'm, I'm really on board with Playground Games. I think they're fantastic developers, and I don't doubt that they could um, stagnate this series because they've got great ideas and they've kept every entry so far fresh. So Japan, if they nailed it or when they nail it, it will be hard to move on from that if there is still a future for the Horizon series after they visit Japan. Japan always makes for, for pretty good driving fare too. Um, all of those tracks in Drive Club are among my favorite in the game. Yeah, so with that, we move on to our final move uh, news item. I'm I'm just all over the place with my mouth today. It's not working. Uh, so, <coughs> anyway, Mario Motors. So, this was kind of an interesting thing that was revealed last week by the creator of... Uh, you may know him as a creator of Seaman, which was this weird Dreamcast game where you talk to a fish and it became your best friend or something. I love the Dreamcast, but I never played Seaman and I have no interest. Uh, and Odama, which was this weird like pinball game, some some like like feudal Japan, but like also pinball. It was very strange. 
But anyway, uh, Yut Saito is his name, and he revealed at Reboot Develop 2018 that he once worked on an unusual Nintendo DS game that was at the time codenamed Mario Mothers. So I figure this is probably like anywhere from 10 to 15 years ago. Uh, the information for this, by the way, I am picking up from Destructoid, uh, who wrote a fairly extensive article on it. And basically, Saito uh, at the time had been speaking to Miyamoto, and Miyamoto asked him, you know, what have you been interested in lately? What kinds of weird... I guess this guy seemingly had a reputation for making weird games. Um, and he said that he was really into the idea of sculpting Chunk, <laughs> which... That sounds like slang for something. Yeah. At first, I thought maybe he meant, like... Well, I, I'm not even going to speculate on his podcast as to what he might mean, but I didn't <laughs> think he meant, you know, basically making engines, which is essentially the game that they wanted to make here. So, although it's not much of a racing game, uh, apparently there was once a game in, in the works or researched where Mario made engines. That's That's a very strange concept. It's it's very weird that when I when I first read this, I couldn't quite believe it because I'm not even sure where the gameplay element would come in for this type of thing because it's such a a unique concept that's so vague. It's very hard to speculate what Nintendo would have done with it. Yeah, it just seems to be centered around, from what I can tell, a lot of weird WarioWare esque mini games. Which, if you've never played WarioWare, it's this weird series that Nintendo has had where it's it's literally like. It's probably the most un-Nintendo thing that Nintendo has made in the last, like, 10 or 15 years, where you just get these, like, honestly creepy mini-games. Like, they're very, like, weird Japan, I guess is probably the best way to describe them. Like, you you know, you, you're, like, picking your nose or something like that as one of them, I remember. Just, like, very weird stuff. And uh, one of the one of the descriptions here for something you would actually do in Mario Mothers um, Saito says that for part of the game, he wanted to teach players how acceleration works in an interesting way and thought about having them blown to a DS microphone. Quote, I scrapped this idea because it would cause children to get out of breath. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least he's honest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Nintendo has always been interested in a lot of very, you know, strange and offbeat gameplay types. I mean, you don't really have to be a, a major gaming fan to, to recognize that and the systems that they've made, and things they've promoted over the years. And the DS would have been a good place for this, because obviously a DS had its touchpad and the stylus, and, and it makes sense that they would try and do something like that on the DS. But yeah, it is a, it is a very odd pitch. Um, as far as, you know, I struggle to say evidence, but like things that we can point to from this game that we can see... Um, there are a couple slides uh, from this develop event just showing off, I guess, various ideas. And most of them are written in Japanese, so it's really hard for me to explain what they really are. Yeah. Um, but one of them is a picture of uh, you very eloquently described this car, Brendan, as a combination between a B-dasher from Mario Kart DS and also like a Silver Arrows Mercedes. Yeah. It looks really cool, actually. It does. It does. Yeah, so there's, I mean, there's really not much to say about this game, but I did want to talk about it because, um, you know, our last show was unreleased racing games, and honestly, this this could fit just as well into that discussion, but, you know, it's not really much of a racing game, and it was in the news this week, so. 
Yeah, I think it was it was funny how topical our discussion turned out to be when this information came out because we were talking about the idea of Nintendo flirting with other racing genres and how they would do it. And th- this is just prime Nintendo, really. Something that you would not expect to see from them. And it looks as if some work must have went into it because they've already got some concept art there and, like you said, some of the slides in this article show that there was a clear concept in their head for how they wanted this to pan out and I think it would have appealed to a broad audience as well as Nintendo always likes to do you obviously get the children who want to create ridiculous engines but you'll also get the people interested in engineering trying to understand how each component of a a motor works and it's cool, it's really cool you could even see this implemented into the next Mario Kart almost in some ways create engines for your car that just is a little sub feature so it'll be interesting if this is ever visited again because because of this new information we'll know this is where it all began yeah that would be great if they had something like that in mario kart um i would definitely be for that and it reminds me of something from from a game i really don't like but i wrote about a while ago for gt planet which is sega gt uh, yeah. the very first sega gt had this uh, this feature called like the Caro Carrozzeria. Hi, my Italian's not very good, but basically <laughs> it's where you build cars. And it, a lot of games over years have tried to do some form of like rudimentary card building, but like Sega GT was very extensive. It was very, it was very cool actually. What you got to do? I mean, you started by picking basically the size of your engine and the and the number of cylinders, and you could decide the aspiration you could decide the orientation so you could do flat v inline whatever you want to do um, that obviously informed the size of your car and then you could choose uh drivetrain you know and it was it was pretty advanced especially for 2000 when that game came out and it was one of the few redeeming things about that game which uh i actually i recently tweeted about and i just I don't like that game. I I go back to it every couple of years, hoping that something might might be there. Something I I failed to recognize over the past twenty years. But no, it's just it's always disappointing. But the car maker part was really cool. So, and, and if anyone can do that well, I mean it's Nintendo. We're seeing all the creativity of that company with uh, Labo, uh, their recently launched kind of platform that's like, you know, half like making things out of cardboard you know, that move or that, that integrate with the Joy-Cons of the Switch. And then also there's this interesting garage portion where they're actually essentially teaching, like, young kids, like, coding and, and, and how, you know, how computer science works and robotics. And it's kind of like a big STEM opportunity for them. I think that's really cool. Mario Mothers looks like it was maybe, you know, a precursor to that. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, just to briefly comment on Labo... It's personally not for me, but I can understand the concept behind it and why it's interesting. Because just to link it into another game, like when Little Big Planet launched on the PlayStation 3, um, it was amazing to see what people came up with in that because it was all in software. Like people were basically coding, like we're talking about that computing science element. But what I think's more interesting about Labo is like there's this hardware element to it now. So, I seen somebody that had made a rhythm game, basically. They'd coded a rhythm game from the, the garage feature, but they had hooked up cardboard so that there was a suite, basically, placed inside the cardboard, and if you met the criteria to pass the rhythm game, the latch would open and a suite would come out. Oh, wow, that's pretty cool. 
Yeah, and it's like in my head, I'm like, I've no idea how they've did that because I've not had any hands-on time with Labo. But it's still so cool seeing that. And then you're seeing the obvious things happen as well, where people are doing like robot wars type thing, where they've got like two kind of <laughs> Joy-Con robots on one side of a, a sumo ring and just fighting them. And it, it's really cool. And to link it into Mario Motors, I'm pretty sure over time we'll see some cool car related stuff to do with Labo. Nothing crazy. We already have the motorbike game that comes as standard, where basically um, you've got like a cardboard um, handlebars basically, and it's like a Mario Kart type mini game. But the coolest thing about that is that the Joy Con controller has like a little infrared camera on the bottom, and you can scan objects in that then become tracks in the game. The infrared camera thing is so interesting because we got one at work. I work at a website called Tom's Guy. They do a little bit of gaming coverage for them, but not much. Um, but we got a Labo, and I was looking at it in the office the other day, and the very first thing that they have you make with Labo is this like little kind of critter that can move, basically. Um, yeah. You attach these, like, th- these cardboard pieces to Joy-Cons that basically you know, approximate legs. Like it's like a, I don't know, a, a multi legged multi I don't know what they're called, but anyway, <laughs> um, you know, it's the, the left and right joy cons are attached in the middle, but then they have their own legs. And when you pick up the tablet, because you control everything through the, the switch tablet portion, the console, you basically like press on the left joy con to vibrate, to have it turn to the left. You press on the right Joy-Con, have vibrates turn to the right. You press on both to have it go straight. There's also the infrared camera, which I didn't know. Like, I knew the Switch had, like, an IR, you know, element down there. Like, I had already known that. But I didn't know that, like, I guess in this case, like, I don't know if all infrared-type, you know, blasters or whatever, like, are cameras. But there's actually, like, it's almost like a 64 by 64 square like the lowest resolution camera you've ever seen but like it shows heat and it shows like when you're looking at it, it's so low res it's hilarious it's like worse than the game boy camera so um that was pretty funny i didn't know the switch had that camera but you can basically move this like critter around and it sees stuff so yeah at this point i think we've moved far enough off the racing game discussion that we can <laughs> we can put this one to bed Right, so with that, we will move on to the featured topic where we're going to talk about Gran Turismo tracks. Alright, so with it being the relatively slow week that it has, we were brainstorming about different things to talk about this week, and what the hell, why not talk about Gran Turismo original tracks? They are, you know, constantly a point of conversation with GT Sport, and everybody's kind of waiting for a moment that we see Deep Forest drop, because uh, as we've been told multiple times now, more content is coming to Gran Turismo Sport, I believe Kaz said something like that last week, and... uh, We've been told that Deep Forest probably will be one of them uh, because he said that the team is working on it. So with that, you know, 
why not discuss our best, worst, and most overrated uh, Gran Turismo original tracks, which is sure to bother some of you. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we, did, we did try and avoid hot takes here, but let's be honest, with this type of subject... You're, there's going to be people that disagree, but as long as we, we show a viewpoint, I'm sure we won't uh, get too many death threats. I gotta be honest, I don't think anyone's going to disagree with the best or the worst, really. I don't think those are hot takes. But overrated, in and of itself, whenever you're asked to describe something overrated, you're you're basically saying something sucks that everyone likes, and that yeah. in and of itself is a hot take. So you can't avoid <laughs> that. Um, but yeah, so... I guess we'll we'll just get started with our favorites, and we each kind of made a pick for this. Uh, Brendan, you want to get started? Yeah, cool. Um, so, the best original Gran Turismo track, in my opinion, is Trial Mountain. And I'm not sure, like you said, many people will disagree with this one. I think it's the perfect combination of track design, environment design, and it also has that nostalgic element that, let's be honest, it re- that really heavily factors into our choices here. Yeah, it really matters. And I mean, Trial Mountain, I honestly can't go back and say for certain what the very first Gran Turismo track I ever played was. Um, There's probably High Speed Ring now I think about it, but like, Trial Mountain is the one that I kept coming back to. Trial Mountain was the one that, that really stuck out to me. It's been in every mainline game, uh, if you don't count GT Sport as a mainline game, I guess. And um, it has this timeless quality to it. It's something that, like, very quickly kind of just, like, struck a nerve that I, like, was able to memorize these corners from, like, a young age. And it's such a, you know, it's a kind of track that, like, you really wish could exist. But, and, and, and I'm sure, I'm sure it could from, like, the standpoint of, like, you know, you can make a track that's that shape, obviously, but wouldn't have elevation change in the right places, and wouldn't have these, like, amazing scenes from, like, when you're going through, like, that kind of rocky forest portion, and then you're under that, like, row of trees, and then you get to that corner at the end of the back straight, and you just, you look out, and you just see, like, you know, the, the, the vista kind of in front of you, and it's the ideal track design of, like, the 90s really kind of encapsulated, where you just... You had as much stuff to distract people from the fact that you had no draw distance capabilities on those older older <laughs> consoles. So you, you had as much, you know, as many design elements and as many, you know, kind of scenery elements as possible to distract people from that. But in the case of, of Trial Mountain, it really worked. Yeah, it's a track of moments. I think that's the best way to describe it. You can pretty much recreate the entire track from memory based on the scenery and those elevation changes you mentioned are so important as well because there's just moments where you're driving on it and you realise how perfect it is (laughs) and I'm not overstating it like I genuinely feel like this is one of the very few original tracks in racing games at all that I look at and I'm not sure what I would change because even in the reverse variant I still think the track's great it doesn't have the same vistas of course, because you're, you're driving up the hills rather than down them. But it's still an entertaining drive, and 
funnily enough, one of my favourite parts of the track is basically the final um, S-bend, just of before course. you come to the finish line. Yeah, I think because, that's anyone's. <laughs> yeah, because when you were younger, that is a perfect opportunity to cheat the game, basically, and get a few places back, because you could just cut right across the grass. It's so ridiculous, and you know with like the early Gran Turismo physics model, that game was just... I mean, it was a lot of fun. You can go back and have a lot of fun with Gran Turismo 1 and 2. I think they still hold up pretty well today from a physics standpoint. But when you left the ground, that game did not know what to do with you. <laughs> like, it literally, like, if you hit a curb that was a little bit too high, your car would do that thing where it literally, like, the side of the car that hit the curb would just fly up into the air, s- like, slap back at the ground, and then just keep bouncing. You would just have your car basically, like pivoting on your outside wheels or whatever and just like bouncing and just slapping the track repeatedly and when you you know went off that jump at the end of trial mountain your car would just kind of fly into the air but obviously can only go so high so it would just kind of hang there until you inevitably either hit the bridge (laughs) or you know slid over to the pit wall and just slammed against the pit wall yeah but getting that perfect was really like you know, that determined whether you, you succeed or fail against your friends. I mean, I, I think that goes for everyone who played Gran Turismo, uh, especially in the early days. Yeah, totally agree. There's also a, a funny story about that S-Bend I have where um, I used to have a Game Shark for PlayStation 2, and there used to be a really weird um, speed cheat you could do, where if you clicked in the L3, the analog stick, you could make the car accelerate indefinitely. Wow. So what I used to do is used to line the car up perfectly and then hold an L3 oh, and you man. would have like your Daihatsu Sion going like <laughs> 800 miles per hour on that tiny little curve hill and the car would just go crazy. Such a laugh. That's that's fantastic. Yeah, I I never really played around with Game Sharks or anything much. I remember when I started going to GT Plant when I was younger, I would download like... Uh, saves that people had that you know had like hybrids and stuff on it and that's why I learned you could do some pretty weird stuff with Gran Turismo but yeah yeah to, to bring it back to Trial Mountain I do think you're absolutely right it is a is a track of moments for sure and it's a, it's to me it's just got everything you want it starts out you have those very kind of light S's that like progressively kind of tighten up and you have a lot of runoff area so it's very forgiving for beginners there I mean it's not asphalt but there wasn't really any asphalt runoff in any of those tracks anyway. Yeah. And then you have that you have that blind corner at the top of the hill when you're in the tunnel. And then once you're in that kind of rocky middle section, you know, that sector two, I guess, that all of a sudden the track becomes really punishing because like there there are only like three or four corners in that area and they're pretty easy to see coming, but because of how high the rocks are, it's very easy to misjudge your clipping point and the corner exit. So if you hit one of those rocks, I mean, you're screwed. Especially in the early Gran Turismos where, like, any hit would just immediately result in you spinning. Like, there was nothing you could do. Yeah, game over. Yeah. And then I, I think my favorite section of track actually is the back. It's pretty much from the point that you leave that second tunnel all the way down to, I guess, the end of the track. But but more specifically, like, that back straight, that long left-hander, the sweeper, which is great, that, you know that kink kind of at the right it's a little bit sharper than a kink and i just love that the way that flows into the downhill section where you come down and you see the lake um and that second to last corner is a really nice corner as well so i just love the descent to that track because you really get to stretch your legs after that tight section in the middle 
And yeah, it's there's a reason why we keep coming back to it as Gran Turismo fans. I don't think this is just a case of nostalgia. I really think it is a timelessly well-designed track. It doesn't feel manufactured, and that is a huge positive for the track. So we could talk about Trial Mountain forever, obviously, but I think it's time we move on to my pick for best uh, original Gran Turismo track. And honestly, I would have picked Trial Mountain, but I wanted to kind of diversify here give love to another track I really appreciate, which is Tokyo Route 246. Um, and, and I think you could even make a play for this as one of the most underrated Gran Turismo tracks. It's one of the only street circuits I've ever seen, and, and it is fair to call it a full-on street circuit because these roads do exist in Tokyo. Uh, the, this is a real track. This isn't completely fictional. But in as much as, you know, Gran Turismo made it and it doesn't really appear in a in a real-life series, we can call it a fictional track. Um... And it's great. I mean, like, I've, I've never seen a track that uses, except for maybe Monaco, just because of obviously how old that track is and how unique the roads in Monte Carlo are. I've never seen a street circuit design, you know, with the restrictions of using real-life roads, feel less like a street circuit. But when you get past those first, like, when you get past the first corner of Route 246... You, you kind of, you have that weird left-hander, and then you have that sort of, like, oval section. Um, and that's that's interesting, but once you get through there, and you get to that narrow kind of pass through the trees, oh my god. I've, I don't think there's a single street circuit in the world that offers the kind of speed that that one does. Uh, it, it doesn't feel like a street circuit at all. It feels like, if it was a standalone racetrack, it would be brilliant, just as well. Yeah, that, that was the point I was going to bring up about why I like it so much. The sheer speed of this track really makes you forget that it is a city circuit. And even uh, the comparisons to Monaco show how well designed it is. It's really, it's really important that we make clear how good Polyphony Digital were in the, the earlier stages of making original tracks. Because Tokyo is, is, has no right to be as good as it is. I used to love this track so much, so much so that during uh, du- uh, sorry, doing those endurance races were, was never a, a chore because mm-hmm. the speed and excitement of Tokyo is, is pretty much unmatched by other street circuits in the game. Absolutely, and as much as I love that, that middle section I was talking about through the trees, I think the best corner on the track just, you know... G- g- more from like an objective standpoint of just like combining challenge and just the way it breaks up the flow once you get through there there are two right handers and you just want to it really is one corner that has two apexes and if you cut that right it's just such a satisfying feeling because from there you get a run into the downhill that final portion of the track where you know you're going as fast as possible again but you have this kind of long left-hand sweeper with these weird little kinks. It's not a perfectly consistent radius. So if you can if you can just nail those apexes at the top of the hill and get the exit right, you're golden. And it's it's such a satisfying track when you get it right because there's honestly not a lot of corners there. It's a lot of like weird like little like straightaways that aren't quite straight and you know weird things like that and corners that long corners that have like some imperfections in them and just like bumps and, and whatnot, but it doesn't have a lot of corners, but you you know where all the speed is to be gained on that track. It's very obvious, and it's not it's not too fussy. It's pretty simple, and it's it's just a wonderful street circuit that I really hope makes its way back in the Gran Turismo in the future. 
Yeah, I think Polyphony really liked it as well because it was used quite often for license tests for those reasons you've just said. The the radius turns that aren't quite smooth, the slight bumps in the road, those were the elements that really showed off how fun the physics engines were for the earlier Gran Turismo games as well. Same for 5. And um, it appeared in 6, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think it did, because everything yeah. that, that was in 5 was probably in 6 as well. So, yeah, it's appeared in every game since GT3 where it first appeared. I mean, well, I mean, I don't... GT Sport... Uh, depending on what GT7 is, we can judge GT Sport as either a mainline game or kind of like a spin-off, but we won't know, I think, until we see GT7 at this point. But it's it's safe to say this attract that Polyphony definitely appreciates, and... I I, th- I think it's not only like one their best street circuit, you know. I think it's it's one of their best works overall because street circuits are very hard to design as much as you your work with what you're given. And obviously, it helps to be making a video game where you can put a street circuit anywhere in the world. But it, yeah. it, it still takes that kind of restraint and that that knowledge of of designing a racetrack with a good flow to know you know where to use some of the tighter corners in a given city and and what opportunities exist for you know more speed and ability to kind of just like you know let things loose when i was younger what i used to love to do was design racetracks and actually like it's something that i think the last time i did it because you know, I'm I'm always busy now, and it is kind of something I I associate with being younger. So it's not something I really do anymore. But I did do it last year during Lamar. It's actually a friend of mine. Just like we're gonna pretend that we're like 16 again. We're gonna put Lamar on TV, and we're just going to design racetracks. <laughs> and um, one it just reminded me one of the things I used to do was like I would print out Google Maps screenshots of cities and design racetracks or street circuits in those cities and i remember one of the ones i did i i printed out the same exact part of tokyo that tokyo route 246 uses and i kind of made a a longer version of it um i i mean it wasn't as good because like as we've been saying route 246 is like such a perfectly balanced track but i did try and like make you know a longer, more extensive version of Route 246 that was like probably like five miles long. I don't know where it is. You now. should email it, it to Kaz. Maybe <laughs> I will. Yeah, maybe maybe I'll find it. And unfortunately, is podcasting is not a visual medium. I don't know how I'll share it with any of you, but we'll see. So those were the positives, and and now we're going to now we're going to maybe make some people unhappy. Well, we probably won't with these picks, but uh, these are our worst or our least favorite uh, Gran Turismo tracks anyway. And Brendan, I'll, I'll let you guys start here as well. Yeah, so I've just ripped the band-aid off as soon as possible. <laughs> I've went for Complex String. It's one of these weird tracks that I think when it first appeared in the series, it was fun for like a lap because it was niche. <laughs> but like I, I have no idea when this track would be suitable in the Gran Turismo series now. Like, it it's obviously supposed to be some form of test track, so I won't be too harsh. But it's one of these tracks that I'd be perfectly happy if it never appeared again, because I don't think it offers much in all honesty. It's just a, a hodgepodge of different turn types, and... um, Yeah, it it's not suitable for racing. The, the appeal of it wears off really quickly, and it just doesn't have a flow. And while that might be the point, 
it begs the question why it was needed in the first place because th there's no way you can have good racing on this circuit because of the way it's set up and even testing cars you would rather probably test cars on real tracks or tracks that are um that you get test tracks in real life that are still pretty similar to other real life tracks maybe borrowing turns and that type of thing but complex strings just a bit of a mess really I have to be honest, I, I never really thought much about Complex String because, as you said, it's a test track, so I just saw this like, oh, that's the track that, like, license tests happen on. I, I, you know, I maybe when I was a kid, I couldn't be bothered to even go around it, so I maybe have ever made, like, three complete laps of Complex String in my life because it was so boring for me. But, um, you know, they're, they're license tests, and also, I, I, I guess, you know, later on I started to realize, especially visiting like GT Planet and going on YouTube and whatnot when I could, you know, back in the day, that a lot of people do love this track. Or like a lot of people like, I guess maybe they see this like a challenge, like the, you know, the ultimate challenge of Complex String because it has every single type of corner and if you screw up the first one in a series of like nine hairpins, then you're there's no way you could possibly like correct yourself in time for the next one <laughs> so yeah it's it's just the type of thing that exists i think to serve you know the check a to check a box really it's like we have our test track you know we also have our like big oval in the form of of i think the one that actually was called test track um you know in in newer grand turismo this might be like oh we have special stage route x where you could like get to your top speed you know as 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 much as you want to, uh, and just ride the entire track at top speed. So, I I think there are always people who are looking for these tracks in Gran Turismo, just to to fulfill a kind of like testing basis, like threshold. But they don't really work as tracks, you know, to to race on. And I think that that kind of means that we don't really need them. Yeah, exactly. They're more than happy to to cut the fat on the track roster, and complex string was a. A good track to be left behind, I would say. Yeah, that's, I think that's pretty much all we can say about Complex String, right? It's, yeah, if, there's, there's not much. Really if you've to driven say. it, you know what it is. You know? Exactly. And mine is... Yours people might have a problem with. Mine, I don't think anybody's going to have a problem with. Soul Central from GT4 is... Uh, I, don't even, I don't think it's a terrible track. I just think it's so boring there, there is it is so devoid of of any attribute any single corner that would make you enjoy it and it's a perfect uh you know it's a perfect antithesis to tokyo route 246 because again this is a street circuit but this is a street circuit that is exactly what what the worst street it, it embodies what the worst street circuits in the world are you know, in my opinion, just constant, like, oh, we have, like, a kind of, like, circular, like, almost, like, 360-degree corner here, because it goes around, like, this fountain, and then, and then we just have a series of 90-degree corners, that's all this track is, it's a series of straightaways and 90-degree corners, I think you have one that's, like, got a slight kink to it before you make the corner, so it's, like, ends up being more of, like, I don't know, let's say, like, a 120-degree corner, but it's, like, not a huge difference, and, like, it's, it's just an offensively boring track, in my opinion. I totally forgot it existed prior to you choosing it for your worst track, Adam, and I think that explains it. It really is just a city circuit in the most basic way possible. There's not much that distinguishes it. 
environmentally isn't really that interesting. Like, um, the New York circuit in Gran Turismo, for example, I really liked that track when I was younger because it was cool to race in the middle of New York, so you had a lot of nice scenery and stuff. Right. But yeah. Seoul doesn't quite have the same <laughs> um, glamour, shall we say. It's pretty much as boring as a city gets in the game. And it the game doesn't try and make it look interesting either. So you no, don't get any no. interesting visuals while you race. And like you say, that I think... Um, the whole fountain turn thing's pretty funny to me because I really do think that's one of the most cliched things in city tracks, like going around a fountain. I think pretty much every yeah. city track in existence has an equivalent. Well, it's because the only, like, if you're thinking about, like, real-life city playing and whatnot and then trying to make a track on top of it, it's like the only diversity of corners you get in most cities, if they're not 90-degree corners, are roundabouts. Yeah. Roundabouts are fountains. I mean, there's something in the middle that you're driving around. That's really <laughs> what it is. So so I understand why this is here, but, you know, I, I mean, as much as I hate that first corner because there's a really tight roundabout, it's like, I guess, thank God it's here because otherwise it literally would just be 90-degree corners. The worst part of this track, though, in my opinion, is um, I guess it would be the second to last corner. Basically, there's this section where the track gets slightly interesting. As I said, you kind of have a kink and then like a corner that's a little bit more than 90 degrees and like another 90 left. So you, you have like this kind of almost fat. It's not fast chicane, but like it's not low speed chicane either. Then you're going straight, and then the track gets ridiculously narrow out of nowhere. <laughs> like, like just all of a sudden, like, the th- three or four lanes of traffic are cut down to one. So, you know, I- ideally, it's like you're on the back straight, so this would be a good opportunity to make a pass because you're speeding up, and there is a low stairs and there are 90-degree corner ahead of you. But, again, it's single lane, practically, so you can't pass anyone here. There's no hope of passing anyone here because you – there's just no room and then when you get to this 90 degree left like something about it maybe it's a visual illusion of of the road getting narrower but it opens up again right before this corner and i swear to god it is impossible to break for like any amount of breaking for this corner isn't enough because you've already missed it like it's just maybe it's a little bit sharper than you think it is. Maybe it is that visual illusion of the road gang narrower in front of you and then expanding. But yeah, it, it does some weird things to my eyes and like I can never make it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I know exactly the turn you're talking about because I yeah. did also have issues with that and it's really tough. Yeah. Like tougher than it than you think it would be. Yeah, I agree totally. Yeah, so Seal Central and and also I think. If we're honest, the reason that track is probably in the game is because they had Korean manufacturers in Gran Turismo for the first time. You had uh, Hyundai and yeah, also, um, yeah. God, what were they called? Because they changed names, but they did the oh Proto Motors with the Spira, and then they changed to to a different company name. So that was a weird time when when Gran Turismo was just like kind of snapping up these like lesser known car brands and whatnot. Uh, that car I think was actually based on NSX chassis, so it has a pretty pretty interesting that I even made into a game at all but yeah i really enjoyed that i really enjoyed driving that car at the time because it was so unique like rather than the usual manufacturers it was it's always interesting in gran turismo when you see manufacturers like that get involved because well when you're younger you want to drive as many cars as possible digital as you can so even if they're a little bit boring in retrospective when you first come across those unique cars it's great to have them in there 
Yeah, I feel like Gran Turismo taught people, I mean, us Americans, I guess, anyway, like people over here. I don't know why I'm extrapolating so much on where I live. But anyway, <laughs> um, it, it taught Americans like what certain brands were that never existed here, like TVR, for example. Um, I mean, growing up, like I would have never known what the TVR was, but Gran Turismo not only like taught me that the brand existed, but that there was this kind of rich history of of English sports cars of 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 you know UK based sports car companies around it, and um, that was interesting. And I think maybe they were trying to do the same thing with these with like uh, Proto Motors and. I don't know, some other manufacturers have appeared in Gran Turismo from time to time over years, but I don't think it was ever as effective as in GT1 and 2 because that's when the world was really paying attention. Um, I guess GT3 as well, but I don't know. I don't see anybody talking about Gillette automobiles today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Although the, the Vertigo is one of my favorite guilty pleasure cars in those Gran Turismo games. Yeah, yeah, the Virgo is something. So, all right, here's here's the real meat of the discussion. We're going to talk about overrated tracks. Brendan, I know what you're going to say, and I'm already angry, so just go ahead and do it. Right, so my choice is El Capitan. Okay, you oh, can rage God. now. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't understand. I mean, I want to hear you make your case. Right, so one of the most prevalent um, track themes in racing games is a mountain-based track, right? So, Gran Turismo needed its token-based mountain track. And I, I, I don't know, El Capitan, Wales fun to drive. I'm not saying it's a bad track. Not at all. I just feel as if, in terms of where it's based, the type of track that's there, its length, it's just pretty much a standard mountain track for me. And I, I, don't, I don't get why people love it so much, because... It's a fun track, but at the same time, it just it doesn't have a uniqueness for me that makes it stand out enough for people to love it so much. I kind of understand what you're saying in as much as if we compare this to Trial Mountain, Trial Mountain again had that compactness of moments and and being a perfectly balanced and paced track as well. El Capitan doesn't have that, and as much as yeah. I like it, I'm not going to argue that it does, because there's, like, a bunch of different cores here, and the whole track looks the same, but there are some really special moments of this track. Like, I think when you get through, so you go through a first corner, you have those kind of, like, they're not S's, but they're kind of, like, kinks, yeah, and then yeah. you have, like, you have the sharp right, then left, like, you have that tight chicane up into that tunnel. Everything from that tunnel until you've made it down the mountain because there's kind of like a big hill there is fantastic like you have that that kind of blind right hander uh and then you you, you go downhill to the left and you have that straight away where you got the hairpin at the end of it i think that's i think that's brilliant track design i think it's it's just such a rush it's like a roller coaster and i guess the back half of the track is easily the most boring i'm not gonna argue with that that's where it gets kind of into like you know forgettable territory but that middle sector really, it really makes the track for me. No, that's fine, and I, I'm not saying that this track doesn't have moments, as we've talked about, because I feel like, um, the, well, basically the section which is heavily featured in the intro video, where you're coming up over the hill, down the hill into, like, the hairpin turn, is, like, a fantastic piece of track design. But, like... <laughs> 
I, I don't see what separates this from the plethora of mountain tracks you'd find in something like Need for Speed. That's all I'm saying. I well, think those that... tracks are great. What's the problem with Need for Speed mountain tracks? <laughs> no, no, I know, I know. I, maybe I'm getting a bit um, picky uh, here. But all I'm no, saying you're is, fine, like, you're fine. I don't think El Capitan can be in my best category because the best Gran Turismo original tracks are so unique and replicating it is near enough impossible. We've seen from the numerous attempts that Turn 10 have had at making original tracks that it isn't as easy as Polyphony would like to make it seem. But um, El Capitan is a good track, but I don't think it has that um, Gran Turismo freshness that Trial Mountain, Midfield, those type of tracks have. Yeah, I mean, hell, we, we haven't even seen that you know it, it i can't even like get my thoughts together here but like you're saying that like turn 10 you know shows us that like polyphony you know what they do is uh is pretty quite you know is quite difficult and special i think polyphony's more recent original tracks have shown us how hard it is to make a <laughs> yeah. good original track like honestly um outside of i would say like uh maggiore in gt sport there's there's there hasn't been an original Gran Turismo track in a very long time that's really like piqued my interest, and it's kind of upsetting because they used to be masters of the art. But I think this, I think this thing they they do now where it's like they take this massive set piece and they're like, we're just gonna drop a track in the middle of this open field. It just you don't have those those visual callbacks that we've been talking about with Trial Mountain. You don't have that compactness. Like Matherhorn just goes on forever and ever. And like <laughs> so does Cape Ring. Like I think GT five and six were really like their worst tendencies realized, where they just they're like, We have to throw everything at the wall. And and not only that, but like, you know, El Capitan has these like kind of natural, you know, uh uh elevation changes and like a natural progression to it. Whereas like the more recent fictional tracks are just like these insane inclines and decline. Like these, these things don't appear naturally in real life. Like, I'm sorry, but you can't, I'm not going to drive a car down like a <laughs> freaking like 30 degree grade. Like it's not, that's not <laughs> safe and it's not a good idea and your brakes won't work. Like some ridiculous tracks and, uh, you know, decisions in these more recent tracks. But I feel like El Capitan was at that tipping point where, um, they, they didn't quite reach that point yet of just, you know, just spiraling into absolute lunacy. Um, and the, the other thing for me where I, I kind of fight back against this is like GT4, I think, is is a timelessly good looking game. It's one of those like graphically speaking, as a, uh, yeah. te technically speaking, it's one of those games that. A lot of people say, like, oh, 3D games don't age well. It's like, well, you got to find the right 3D games. Like, GT4, yes, it's, at this point, it's like an outdated view of realism because we our current consoles are capable of so much more, obviously, and more realistic uh, visuals. But there's something, like, tastefully, like, just nice and clean about GT4's visual design, about the color palettes, um, about, you know, just, just all the little details. And especially when you're playing the game in, like, 1080i, as you could do back in the day it was just a fantastic looking game it came out the end of ps2's life cycle so it's easy to understand i think el capitan was like a technical showcase for the game and the system it it is so beautiful i mean like just just the detail in like the trees for example even though i know they're all like flat textures like 
when I was a kid, it, it, it almost felt like the beginning of like the next generation because obviously the G, uh, GT4 came out, you know, very close to, not very close, but relatively close to PS3's beginning. And um, just the picturesque background of the Yosemite Mountain made El Capitan, also Cathedral Rock, some of my favorite tracks in the game. Yeah, I think visually, I wouldn't argue with you there. It is one of the strongest um, Gran Turismo tracks from that generation. And I would absolutely love to see it up to 4K, because I think it would oh, still hold yeah. up pretty well. Yeah, I mean, that, I feel like that's a lot of work for them to go and redo. Like, now now that we know like the process that Polyphony takes to make anything, like... I feel like it would be very difficult for that because you know they'd like send somebody the to to the to the park again and they'd have to take pictures again they'd have to get the correct texture of the wood of the of the tree trunks or whatever <laughs> and like get a new picture for the background of the mountain like I I feel like El Capitan because you know it was like somewhere they traveled to that was like a point of reference in the development of GT4 I feel like that makes it the exact type of original track that we won't see again. And I, I don't expect to see it again. It's a shame because, well, I mean, not to you, obviously, Brenton. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I, would still, um, I would still like to see it returned on the basis of the current tracks that Polyphony are churning out. I would take El Capitan any day of the week over those. Yeah, so uh, my, my, my pick is my pick's going to make people upset. Uh, special stage rule 11 I don't like it um, how do you feel Brendan <laughs> uh, well people are going to be doubly angry because I too am not a big fan of this one and I think it's a case of um, those visuals we talked about getting in the way of actually making a competent flowing track design yeah you know what it is, is I, when I was a kid I started playing Gran Turismo when I was like 5 or 6 I was very young and I couldn't get around any of the tracks. So, like, Special Stage Rule 11 was, like, hard mode, you know? That's never, <laughs> never, ever going to happen. Um, but eventually, you know, I played GT3, and as I got older, I got better at these games. And, you know, eventually when I when I could get a feel for, for track design and, and, you know, actually, you know, be a decent driver and get myself around without crashing, Special Stage Rule 11 just felt, like, like deliberately just just annoying just like it was always out to get you like every corner is a little too tight also there's like 80 of them and like <clears throat> it just constantly felt like it was just trying to catch you out i don't like tracks that do that because it's like i mean honestly it's like kind of the same reason i don't like horror movies like it's very easy to scare someone i don't think there's like much uh you know I don't think there's much nuance in just, you know, freaking throwing up, like, a jump scare when you can. Just, like, I don't think there's much nuance in, in developing the world's tightest ever hairpin pot or a hairpin <laughs> chicane possible. I don't, I don't get a thrill out of that. And, like, when you put two concrete walls there, like, I'm going to hit them. So, I guess you won, Polyphony. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I, I would sum it up with one word, obtuse. I feel like yeah, the track design has been made to trip you up, like you said. And it, it's hard to appreciate that because it feels cheap in execution. There's there's no thrill of driving on Special Stage Route 11 because... Because you, you, you just... can't ever get above, like, 60. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And even when you can, there's going to be a wall to slam just to bring you right. back down to reality. And I think the other thing about Special Stage Route 11 is that 
It exists because Gran Turismo didn't have a physics engine, basically. Uh, sorry, a damage engine. Like, there is no way that this track would be included in a game with a really extensive damage engine, because you'd barely make it through five laps. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. It's it's just too tight. The walls are always there. They're omnipresent. And I think we have to be honest with ourselves and say the reason why people like this track uh, is because, well, if we take nostalgia out of the equation, it, it was very pretty. I mean, any sort of, like, night circuit back in the day, especially, like, Special Stage Route 11 with... On the PS1 and, and uh, or on the on Grand Turismo 1, rather, because it wasn't in GT2, if I remember correctly, um, you had that kind of downhill in the middle of the track. You went into this tunnel, and then you had those crazy chicanes. Whereas uh, on the on GT3, they took that out of the tunnel, and they kind of re uh, kind of remapped that section where you're now above ground, and you see that Ferris wheel in the background. And I think people really cling on to those those visual memories, and um, I can understand why. I mean, it's the same reason we were talking about Trial Mountain, but yeah. I, I don't think I, I still feel like if you if you just kind of drained all of the scenery out of Trial Mountain, it would still be a great track. And if you drained all scenery out of Special Stage Route Eleven, there would be nothing left. No, exactly. That's it. Uh, the best method of choosing if a track is good or not is. Give it the old GT5, GT6 treatment. Place this track design <laughs> into a vast area of nothingness. Yep. Would you really care about it? Yeah, and, and I, I don't think you would. And it's also we we're older now, and you know we know too much about the way racing works, and to to really appreciate and the way street circuits are designed to really appreciate something like this again. You know, it's it, back in the day. I, I I always hear this uh, this phrase or, or you know this idea every now and then, and I agree with it so strongly, and I can't figure out why. But it's like when you were a little kid or when you were younger, when you were playing games when you were younger, if a game was badly designed, you never said it was bad. You said it was hard. Yeah, that's because true. you thought there was something there that you weren't getting, um, because obviously the game designers know all and they never make bad decisions. But when you get older, you realize that, no, like, if something's hard, well, it can be hard and well-designed or hard and clever, like everyone always says about, like, say, you know, Dark Souls, for for example. Yeah. Or it can be hard because it's just unintuitive and just deliberately trying to, to fuck with you, and that's what this track was. Yeah, it's like New Game Plus for RPGs, but just for racing games, that's Special Stage Route 11. Yeah. Honestly, if it came back, I which I don't think it ever will. I mean, well, I mean, Special Stage Route Five came is has always been like omnipresent. So maybe one day we would see a new Route Eleven. Um, but if it came back, I honestly wouldn't be very upset. Um, and and to just kind of cap it off with one more point, I actually enjoyed Route Five and Route Eleven more on PS One and PS Two because Polyphony really went all in into making those tracks look special, look like a big deal, like they were, you know, this like kind of bustling street circuit and the, the events were, were big and, you know, huge crowds would turn out and whatnot. And as they went on, for some reason, GT5 and GT6, they completely drained the life out of Route 5. Like, it's very dark, you can't see anything, <laughs> there's nobody on the side of the track. Like, it's they what they turned it from basically was a a purpose-built functional street circuit with like you know that was officially recognized 
to basically like if you know they turned it into Tokyo Extreme Racer essentially is if you were on the streets completely not sanctioned by anyone ever and it really made it feel a lot less special so if they did bring something like Rue 11 back I would at least want them to do it the right way and, and really make the track feel special as opposed to you know the Tokyo Expressway route that they go now of here's here's a you know here's a track in the city and you're just on these roads and we 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 haven't done anything yeah i think that's actually a good point i didn't realize how much life they drained out of the circuit almost that like maybe they were making a message saying like look how many people used to turn out to watch the races here and now everyone's just bored of it so stop asking for us to put it in the game yeah i, I do <laughs> wonder if there's like a hidden message there like when they bring these old tracks back and they're very like honestly a lot of, a lot of the the classic circuits that reappear in GT5 and GT6, like they they did very little. They they didn't remake these tracks. They're just yeah. you know previous tracks in HD. So like you know 1080p or 720p or what have you. So like you get the feeling that I mean a combination of maybe not having enough time and resources, or like we know Polyphony weren't the best at managing their resources back in the day. Maybe it's a combination of that, and also like they really didn't feel like they. You know, they, they didn't want to put these tracks in the game again, but they felt like they had to. So they were like, here it is, you know, enjoy it. Just, just you know, chug it down. I'd say that's a fair comment. I think the returning tracks, they, they missed the point. They loved these tracks because of everything about them, not just the actual design of the tracks. So it brings us back into that argument over Kate Bring and stuff again, where, yeah, Trial Mountain is an amazing track, but it's it's the sum of its parts, it's not certain elements that make it great. So when you bring it back and you give it a, like, a slight bit of polish, it's not going to seem as great as it was before. So I don't I don't buy the fact that maybe these tracks have aged. I just feel like not enough effort was put in to recreate them in, in today's generation. Or, well, last generation. Yeah, I agree. And, like, you look at how they're saying, you know, Deep Forest will make a return and... I, I thought the comment that Kaz made, he actually answered he, he answered something that I've been wondering for a very long time, which is why aren't we seeing these old tracks come back? And why aren't we seeing like old fan favorites come back that like haven't gotten love in a very long time? Like I don't know, like Red Rock Valley or something like that. And what he said was like when you look at those old games, the scale is all wrong. And I was like, oh, you're absolutely right. Like, that's why Trial Mountain initially felt like this big, vast place. Because the rocks were way taller than you, but your car was bigger than the trees. <laughs> like, the scale the scale of Trial Mountain made no sense. The scale of all those tracks made no sense. Um, and then, I mean, if you look at, like, the billboards, billboards are freaking massive compared to what they are now. But then actually, if you go back and look at some like uh, old racing footage or pictures of, of racing back in the day, they used to have some pretty massive billboards on the sides of tracks yeah. that we don't make anymore. So I think it's a combination of both. Yes, the scale was off, but also tastes have changed. Now we're trying to go a more realistic route, maybe. I'm sure it has something to do with the whole FIA thing and the need to be, you know, the, the the everlasting, you know, unrelenting need to be as much of a sim as you possibly can be. And I'm sure those older tracks don't really fit that mold. Um, so so it is interesting to see. If we, if we do get uh, Deep Forest again, what will it look like? Uh, I really hope that it doesn't feel 
you know, just very basic, like high speed ring has been made to feel, for example, or, or Route 5, as we were saying. Yeah, I think um, that that is a good way of summing it up. Until Polyphony wants to give these tracks the full treatment, they, they shouldn't really come back because it might sully the memory. And with the FIA stuff happening, the likelihood of these tracks being top priority probably isn't there because there's probably literally thousands of people screaming for like spa and that type of thing. So I'm sure they'd rather bulk the, the real tracks list rather than focus on tracks of old. And that that's fair enough. I mean, I, I, I like a good few of the new tracks in GT Sport. Tokyo Expressway isn't one of them. <laughs> but um, like... The Lake Maggiore and uh, Dragon Trail are great tracks, but maybe it's just that bit of personality that's still missing in terms of the environment, but th- these tracks do have original designs that don't seem too outlandish. They Some of them do have those ridiculous gradient changes and stuff, but overall, I think the tracks we've had in GT Sport are probably of a better calibre than the originals that were introduced in 5 and 6. Oh yeah, I, I think that goes without saying. And I, I think the fact that we haven't seen any of those old those five and six tracks reappear is a pretty good sign of not only are fans not clamoring for them, but also I think it's very clear if you read between the lines in a lot of interviews with Kaz and whatnot, they're not really proud of their work on the PS3. And it's easy to see why. I mean, they were constantly just like, just, just working from behind, trying to catch up. Um, you know, the system wasn't doing what it wanted them to do. And, you know, it is the way it is. I mean, every series goes, goes through peaks and valleys for sure. And I think we're on the cusp of something really special with GT Sport. I mean, GT Sport's a, a fun game, but who knows? GT7 might be filled with all of the, you know, classic tracks that, that we want and, and more. So let's look forward to the future. Yep, future's bright. And yeah, that that has been our sixth episode here at Time Extend. Uh, my name is Adam Ismail. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Pioneer Spine. And yeah, that's that's my life right now. Nothing to plug. How about you, Brendan? Uh, yeah, same here. So you can find me on Twitter at Breadwings. Bread Breadwings. <laughs> Breadwings. Um, and uh, yeah, you can find any articles of mine on gtplanet.net. Not did any opinion editorials in a while. I'll probably have to think of another way to talk about Blur 2. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so nothing really interesting on that side of things, but I'm reporting news coverage over there at the moment. But, yeah, nothing to plug for me either. So um, f- all I can say really is thanks for listening. Great. Yep, and, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it, and we'll see you again soon. Cheers, guys. Cheers.